So this is our third conversation in the Notoriously Episcopalian podcast series on where the resurrected Jesus is. And I am with Jamie Osborne this morning, um, who is going to chat with us for a little bit. And so, Jamie, I'd like to start out by letting you tell us a little bit about who you are and where where you are and what you're doing. Hey, Kelly. Um, Well, I'm Jamie Osborne. I'm from Huntsville, Alabama, and... I'm married to Lauren, and we have two children and a dog named Lucy, and we're currently in Sewanee, Tennessee, where I'm going to school at the seminary, and I'm really enjoying it, and I'm in the MDiv program, so I will be graduating 2017, and, um, you know, I'm on the track for ordination there, and God willing and the people consenting, you know, I'll get ordained and serve the diocese in some capacity after that. So you are you are rounding out the second semester of your first year, right? Yes. So so far you're still alive. We're glad. For yeah. That. <laughs> um, and still intending to move along in the ordination track. We're also glad for that. So um, I thank you for taking time this morning and sitting in your car because I know you have two little ones uh, and <laughs> sitting in the car to, to have um, some uninterrupted conversation. So thank you for doing that on a Saturday morning. So I sent the call out for folks to kind of pick a post-resurrection appearance in the Gospels um, and and have this conversation about it. And you were brave enough to say that you would do it. Um, So tell us which kind of um, appearance story you selected and and kind of put it in the in the Gospel narrative and tell us what the what the story is in that passage um, to kind of start us off. Sure. Well, I picked the Emmaus story. So, you know, Jesus has been crucified. The disciples are afraid and unsure what's happening, and they're sad. And then there's two that are walking on this road, and Jesus comes up, but they don't know it's Jesus. And he starts walking with them and asks them, what's going on? And they say, are you the only one around here who doesn't know what's happening? And they're talking about their hope in Jesus, but how that didn't turn out the way they expected and so this stranger to them starts speaking and explaining the scriptures to them and they it's very strange and then at one point jesus is gonna walk he acts like he's gonna keep walking on and but they have to really encourage him to stay with them and they start having a meal and then they recognize it's jesus and jesus disappears and it's this really like mysterious, um, yeah, just very wonderful story. Um, and I was just drawn to that, so I thought I'd like to just discuss that and explore that a little bit. So, what is it particular? Like, it is kind of a crazy story. Um, a lot of the, of course, a lot of the post-resurrection stories have Jesus sort of popping in and out a bit. Um, so what is, is there, is there something particular about this story that, that kind of caught the, caught your interest, um, um, one part of it, or just kind of the overall kind of strange story of Jesus showing up and then disappearing? Yeah, well, uh, I had heard a sermon recently in, um, here at the seminary, and the preacher was just talking about how the resurrection stories are sometimes very awkward and um, almost anticlimactic you know because you've got 
that's not the way I'd write this story. You know, two guys walking down a road and Jesus who's resurrected, but they don't recognize it's him. It's just very weird. And then just disappears at the end. And um, kind of the thought behind the sermon was that you really have to pay attention and look for resurrection, you know, and it, which is a strange idea because it's like overcoming death and defeating death, but then it's a hidden thing. And I think about that with God, uh, you know, I, I've kind of come into a phase in my spiritual journey where I, I really think about the hiddenness of God um, and the smallness of God. And so that that's, this post-resurrection story really plays into that for me because there isn't a blinding light. I mean, it's just kind of an awkward, mysterious thing where it's two people walking down a road talking to this person who's defeated death, who disappears when they eat, you know what I mean? And it's just plays into that. And so when I think about finding Christ in my own relationship with Christ and my faith, I think there's some like high moments, but I think a lot of it is just quiet and subtle and nuanced and it requires us to be open and look for God, you know, um, which is, uh, I don't know, I think different than how faith is sometimes construed, you know, uh, our Christian tradition, at least it's been for me. So I've gone through a real shift there. So I think that's why I'm drawn to this story is that there's a hiddenness about God and then there's a mysterious element to it, but there's also a requirement for us to have eyes that are looking. And um, so there's that invitation. I, I think it's kind of interesting kind of what you just said about, you know, here, here's Jesus who has defeated death. And, you know, I think, I think a lot of us that if we were writing the story, because that's that kind of the church has focused on the fact, you know, Jesus's death and resurrection, um, you know, ends death. This is this is a way to a, a different form of, of life or to, to everlasting life. Um, you know, the, the emphasis on, you know, the point of Christianity and salvation is this defeating of death and eternal life, um, not mm. necessarily here, but to come. But we don't get stories that are like Jesus, you know, busting out of the tomb and um, with, you know, lights and, and angels and some of our iconography or some of our, our artwork tries to capture that moment. Sometimes there was a modern painting a few years ago that was really kind of strange. Jesus coming out of the tomb, a very strong Jesus. Instead, what Luke gives us is all the disciples can talk about is that Jesus has died. Here is Jesus that has been resurrected and Jesus doesn't talk to them necessarily about that. He's defeated death and been resurrected. He walks with them and talks to them about scripture. And then, yeah. You know, he sits down and has a meal with them and kind of moves it, moves on. The point doesn't really seem to be about, yay, Jesus has defeated death. Mm. Um, it, you know, that hiddenness that, that's kind of there. That was just an interesting uh, kind of turn that you that you put on it um, and that things yeah. are much quieter than than maybe we have once thought they were. Sure. Yeah. And I, I think about Paul 
you know, in Romans um, and First Corinthians talking about resurrection and new creation and all these things. And um, like the theology that, are, you know, arises around the story of Christ and the resurrection. But you can still, so you can have death defeated and this cosmic stuff happening, but you can still be a really disappointed, disillusioned disciple walking down the road. You, you know what I mean? And sometimes I feel that it's, yes, Christ has given us victory and defeated death, but sometimes my life feels like it's not new life at all or new creation. Like this morning in my prayers, there's this little devotional verse and it talked about being a new creation in Christ. But when I think about those two walking down the road, new creation was happening and starting and that was in breaking in the reality, but it wasn't something they felt or there wasn't, you know, some sky rider <laughs> writing it out like resurrections happened. So I think the Christian claim is that new life has started, death is defeated and you get up and start making your coffee and hop in the shower and get ready for work. You know what I mean? Um, and that, that's fascinating to me. And so I don't know. Is it just kind of like soothsaying to ourselves sometimes or is that, or is it really actually profound and just what our expectations are about resurrection and what we place on that sets us up for not experiencing resurrection? You know what I mean? So if I'm waiting after, if I'm on the road to Emmaus thinking about resurrection being Jesus like floating down from the sky or you know, all of a sudden I see different colors that I've never seen before or, I'm walk, or I can walk on water. I'm going, to, I'm going to be really disappointed. And I think that story really brings out the normalness of walking with Christ in new life. You, you get what I'm saying? Like, it's just walking down the road, talking about our faith, having a dinner, spending time with each other, and then telling other people about that. You know what I mean? And I just find that really, um, I don't know, it just really makes me ponder, you know, because, again, the expectation of, like, God being big and impressive, and I think sometimes God's really unimpressive, you know, and I think that's the shift I'm coming to is God's really hidden, too. Like, the first 30 years of Jesus' life, I mean, it's just, where where was he? What's he doing? And that's not how I'd approach my life, you know, it's brand yourself, get on Twitter, have a presence, you know, do this. And, you know, and you've got the son of God. Like if I was, if I came, I'd start healing people like at two years old and, you know, do all these things. And that, that hiddenness, even in Christ's life and the claim that he is God, um, it really changes the narrative of this big, powerful God who's removed, um, who, is very easily seen and impressive to a quiet man in Jerusalem or around that area who's a carpenter who defeats death and then goes and talks with two people on a road, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, you know? And leaves before supper is done. Yeah. <laughs> so what, you know, with these stories, what do we, I mean, what does it say to us now, right? So the gospel can't just preach in first century Palestine. Um, you know, the church has spent uh, thousands of years trying to continually find meaning in it. So what for you does this passage bring forward to 2015? 
Yeah, I mean, so part of this, hopefully there's more of a universal truth, but you know, I'm at seminary now and seminary is a strange place because um, you have all of these like spiritually inclined folks all together in the same room. So that thing that might have differentiated you in your community prior, prior to coming seminary is the same for everybody. Everybody's praying, everybody's reading these books. So, um, and then the conversations, we're trying to discern what, God, what is God calling us to do in the future? What are, what are my gifts? What do I want to do? And there's this pressure, I think, to feel like I need to make something of myself, you know, and you hear about cool things that happen in the diocese or this cutting edge ministry or this person over here is doing this great thing. And uh, there's the attraction to something big and powerful and to make a name for yourself or for the church. You, you, get, you know what I mean? It's this whole drive. And I think, um, and I'm not for us not doing anything or just being humdrum, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I want to lower my expectations of God and life. You know what I mean? And I know it might sound bad to say, but um, I think if we come to the resurrection stories with our expectations of how God should work, we'll be really disappointed. And I, I think the same thing about just living the life of Christ. If, if our ideal is I want to be like Jesus, who was always healing people, walking on water, feeding thousands of people, um, that was a small portion of his life. What about the 30 years prior where he's just being a son and a friend. And so I think there's this, we have a tendency to want to say God's out there far away and distant. And I think we can do the same thing to the life of Christ and resurrection. It's, it's something big, it's something huge and transformational and it's far away from my everyday life. So I think one thing is, the takeaway for me is that I need to have eyes to see where Christ is because that resurrection life isn't where I'm always expecting or coming how I think it should be. And I feel like I'm a disciple on that road who has Christ walking with me, but I don't even recognize it. And maybe that's through interaction with a friend or my one of my children or a classmate or just walking out in the yard and just feeling like a closeness with God. If I'm putting all these conditions on how God has to interact with me to feel like something's happening or that this is true or there's new life, I think the subversive thing about Christ is he's always throwing us off, you know, and coming in places we don't expect. Like you said, as the baby. I mean, our story is that God came in a baby to like a refugee family. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what we expect. That we find Christ in bread and wine in a meal together. I mean, it's constantly subverting what we think about God. And, um, and I think when we realize the hiddenness of God or see that aspect of the smallness of God, it gives more dignity to our actual lived life and helps us experience the resurrection, you know, rather than dis distancing ourselves from it or actually inoculating us from it because I think this story encourages us to open our eyes, open ourselves up to where God is now. And it's usually in unexpected places in small, subtle ways. And it's not the light show or the Pink Floyd laser show. You know what I mean? It's, 
it's really like subtle and kind of whispers and it's through friends and community and reading good books and having um, a good cup of coffee. You know what I mean? I, I mean, it's all that and more, but we're going to miss so much if we're discounting that or not looking for Christ in the simple things of life. So what does the church do with that? I mean, the Episcopal Church has kind of a broad expression from from low church to, to high Anglo-Catholic pomp and circumstance. And, um, you know, it's it's going through the same thing. All the mainline churches are about, you know, anxiety over folks leaving, um, you know, not bringing in enough young folks. And, um, you know, how does how would the church kind of incorporate this idea of the simpleness of God in resurrection and where that leads them? Yeah. I mean, um, maybe after I graduate from seminary, I have an answer to that one, but uh, (laughs) how would you, I'll rephrase, how would you like to see the church begin to explore that? Um, So there's, there's, I feel like there's two things I hear about when we talk about the church. One is like the sky is falling and um, one is like, we're fine, you know? And, and I don't know if either of those address the issue, but one is that, Hey, we're really losing people. So we got to start like thinking of some cool stuff to do. And um, which I think is a good idea, but a lot of times that just means like, let's make a name for ourselves and be big, you know, and be appealing. Um, and, and so the way I think it plays out is let's just be authentic and be who we are. And I, I know that's not very detailed, but um, so anyways, w- one comparison is like, well, look at the mega churches. What are they doing? You know, and they're getting all these people in the doors. And as we're losing cultural capital, as Christians, I mean, we used to occupy pride of place and the church was just what you did. But now with our evolving, you know, um, nation, its makeup, different religious uh, expressions and just the church losing its ground as that landmark or that kind of meeting place and cultural center. Um, I don't know if losing numbers is a bad thing. And again, I don't want to seem like fatalistic on that, but I know a lot of people go to mega churches who just love the rock band there. I mean, they have some amazing, wonderful musicians where they like the speaker, but where they really find their own spiritual sustenance is not there. It's at in conversations or in their prayer life or reading books or in community. Um, And I, so I don't know if that's the standard of just how many people do we have in the pews. And of course, having people in the pews isn't a bad thing, but what are we going to do when we get people together in the name of Christ as a church? And that's my answer. My, that's my question. Like, sure, we can invite all these people and welcome people and try to do things to get more people in whatever expression we have, but what are we doing when we're there? And I think for me, our power lies in helping people experience the risen Christ and look for him and see him through the sacraments and community. And as they seek to serve the world and, uh, you know, follow God's dream for the, for the world. So I think 
some of the temptation is like, let's be a cool hangout place or let's do this. And we, we're not good at that. You know, I can go hang out with friends and eat pizza at the bar. You know, I mean, I, I think we, we move away from our strengths when we're not offering that spirituality, helping people lean into it and learn how to grow in it. And we rather focus on how to be relevant. And I'm kind of rambling at this point, but relevant, I don't think Mother Teresa was relevant or St. Francis was relevant. You know, these people were authentic and real at a profound level. And I think that's what we need to offer as a church. And so I don't want this to be misconstrued saying, well, we don't need to change anything. No, I think we just need to get um, more authentic about who we are. As Episcopalians, as Christians, we offer people an encounter with Christ and a life shaped around that as a response within a community. And I think sometimes we can really get away from that and we do that to our own peril. So, yes, there's we're in a big cultural change right now. There are a lot less people going to church. Um, but was that just a cultural phenomenon? You know, I'm, I think some of it is. And I don't know if it's this whole decline narrative that uh, we're turning to into a godless society and no one wants to be Christian anymore. I just think maybe the culture doesn't support that anymore. And a lot of that was the cultural framework and that's shifting. And so instead of reacting as a culture and, um, and doing some type of culture war and let's like try to compete and be more flashy and big and do this, it's like, well, what does it look like to think about God being smaller and um, resurrection being less exciting even? And how do we invite people into authentic way of, of doing that. And I think we have all that in our gathering, in our spirituality as Episcopalians in the Book of Common Prayer, the daily office, our forms of prayer, the rhythm of life in the church year. And I think we should lead with that rather than the other things and how that informs our witness in the world and um, social justice and things. So I think it's not being flashy or big. I also think it's not getting away from the spirituality piece and trying to lure people in through whatever means and then springing it on them. I think just lead with who we are. We are a community formed around the risen Christ. We invite people to experience and live into that. So that was a long winded answer to that. But I, I, I just have concerns about all of this. Let's compete with this or in reaction to the cultural decline, let's, start motivating ourselves to do stuff rather than out of the center of who we are. Hey, there's this man named who we believe was resurrected and conquered death. How do we let that motivate our witness and our life together? You know what I mean? Rather than the reactionary thing. So that, that's my uninformed uh, answer at this point. <laughs> Well, Jamie, I think that is a great um, challenge to the church. Um, and, uh, of course, this podcast is called Notoriously Episcopalian, um, which is a phrase that I used to describe myself to our bishop once. Um, and he gave <laughs> blessing for the name of this podcast, um, which was kind of based on that idea of being um, open and known as an Episcopalian and the very particular things that go with that. And so I think, you know, what you offer as far as 
here's this simple story of Jesus, this quiet, hidden moment, um, the church focusing on what it does well, not competing with what everybody else is doing, I think is something that the Episcopal Church needs to hear because um, I don't think we're ever going to be able to have the same rock bands and everything that everybody else does. But we do have something very good because um, we have this worship centered on this um, at one on one side, very simple thing of bread and wine, but with a belief and a theology that is like earth shattering as far as what we believe happens to that bread and mm. wine. Uh, and, sure. Yeah, you know, we need to get better about talking about that. Um, and and maybe you know, in this story, um, at the table, at a you know, when when Jesus is there, when they realize who he is. And they gain some glimpse of understanding, and then he's gone. Um, you know, kind of our whole story, I think, as a church is we get these little glimpses of understanding um, and try to move forward uh, in, in that. And um, uh, right now we're stressed, but I don't think we have to be. At the end of the day, you know, mm. the center of our faith is that Jesus, fully human, fully God, lived, died, defeated death, and was resurrected. Um, I don't sure people of the resurrection should practice a life of anxiety over church numbers and stuff like that so um yeah i, I totally agree I, I think the last thought i have on that is you know even as we wonder about what to do with the church and the shifting culture and things like that is maybe we won't have a master plan that's like really cool and neat maybe it's just step by step and little by little you know and I think even that, maybe it's just step by step on the Emmaus Road, walking with kind of a strange person we don't really recognize, and maybe that's what resurrection looks like, you know? I mean, I think that's what the story's telling us, and then we break the bread and drink the wine, and Jesus is gone, and then we tell other people about it, and it's, you know, it's just so small, and uh, so yeah, maybe that's the way forward for us. Well, Jamie, I thank you for taking time this morning and talking with me. And I hope, um, I know you have a few more finals to finish up before the semester is done. <laughs> so I yes. hope that goes well. Um, and uh, so thank you very much for uh, chatting with me this morning. Yeah, thanks, Kelly. Great being with you. <laughs>